Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Another manic Monday, praying for the week to go by. Another torture Tuesday, I cannot seem to open my eyes. The money, money, we all got to make it, yeah. But every day should be a vacation. I wish you was. Hey, welcome Liquid, everybody. Can we welcome all those joining us across New Jersey? I'm Pastor Tim. Glad you're here. If you're new, Liquid is actually one church, but we meet in five locations. We have five campuses across uh, five counties, including, let's see if I can get this, Morris, Essex, Middlesex, Union, and Somerset counties. So praise God for you guys. Just welcome one more time. We're just so glad you're part of our church family, and we're kicking off this series Sunday Fun Day today. Now, we call it Sunday Fun Day. Uh, and do you see what we did there, Sunday Fun Day? Uh, and one of the reasons we did that is because one of our core values as a church is that church is fun. We like to laugh. We always like to have a... I always like to start with a little something funny just to kick off a series. Uh, over the holidays, I had a chance to go skeet shooting with some friends. Have you ever done this? Uh, just with shotguns, they threw the clay pigeons in there, and you go... It was, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of... We got a redneck on, you know, a little Duck Dynasty action. Um, but I, it reminded me of this joke I heard, uh, you may have heard this, about a pastor who went bear hunting and uh, all day long searching the woods, walking miles, searching for bear, no sign of a bear. And then finally, feeling like totally frustrated, he takes his rifle, throws it in the bushes, no bear, you know. And at that very moment, 50 yards away, comes this huge grizzly bear bearing down, running full force right at him. And at that, so the pastor, he, like, he, he Prays, says, God, I need protection. In Jesus' name, convert this bear into a Christian. And at that very moment, the bear froze in his tracks, lifted his paws to heaven, and said, Lord, thank you for this food I'm about to eat. <laughs> Sunday fun day. All right. Hey, we like to laugh. Uh, thank you very much. Be here all night. Uh, we think it's a blast to serve others. And this series really is about how to get the most out of your experience at Liquid in 2016, because you've got 52 Sundays. Now, I want you to think about that. That's 15% of your life this year. And we really believe at Liquid, Sunday should be the best day of your week. Sunday should be fun day. And let me tell you why. Growing up, I did not equate Sunday being a fun day. In fact, I grew up in a little church that I thought was just the opposite. I thought Sunday was the most boring day of the week. First of all, I went to a church where you had to dress up. I always had to wear a little suit and tie. And then we went to Sunday school, which is what every kid wants on the weekend. More school, if there's any way, you know. And so my brother and I, we'd like procrastinate on Sunday mornings. My parent, you know, battled my parents. We don't want to go. We don't want to. They'd have to force us to get in the station, you know, the family station wagon. We kind of speed into the church parking lot, about 15 minutes late. No one's talking to each other. I've seen some of you come in here like that. And then we'd sit through this two-hour service that had six or seven or eight hymns and then a 60-minute sermon. And the songs were not fun, okay? Very serious, very solemn kind of Hymns full of big words, language like you might never really hear in real life. I remember like they'd be like, let's stand together and exalt the flaming cherubim. And we're like, what? Like, what are you even talking about, you know? 
the messages were okay, they were rooted in the Bible, but I was never really clear like how they applied to life. At Liquid, we like to say truth is relevant. In other words, what you learn on Sunday should make a difference Monday through Saturday. But I understand if, if most people don't think of Sunday as a fun day, unless their football team is playing, right? Uh, by the way, if you're a Giants fan, Sunday is sad day, okay? <laughs> Moment of silence for Tom Coughlin. Uh, but for God's perspective, Sunday's supposed to be a fun day. Now, the Bible uses a different word for fun. The Bible spells fun, J-O-Y, or joy, okay? Sunday, or the Sabbath, was created by God, and it's supposed to be a joy because it's a gift he created explicitly for his children to enjoy him. Sunday or the Sabbath was the anchor day of the week where God said, on this day, you are to do no work, okay? I'm giving you 24 hours set aside just to enjoy me, your heavenly Father. This is a day for you to to rest, to relax, to celebrate, to sing, and enjoy your relationships with your father and his family. That's your other brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. That's how God originally designed the purpose of the Sabbath. You see this in Leviticus 23. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord said, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of what? Say that together. Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a what? Sabbath to the Lord. How did God know? (laughs) It's almost as if God is like, I know you guys, you're workaholics and you run bell to bell. You work long hours, 24-7, but I designed you for 24-6. I want you to set aside one day, we're going to call it the Sabbath, and I don't want you to do any work. I want you to rest, to relax, be refreshed in my presence because Sunday is fun day. See, God knows that we get cranking on our calendars, our work, our school, kids, shopping, all this stuff we do. He's like, I know you guys can't stop. You're going to be tempted to keep going bell to bell. And so I'm going to command that you put the brakes one day a week just for fun to enjoy our relationship, to reestablish our connection. See, the Sabbath is first for the Lord. It's for God, but it's also for the sacred assembly. You know what that is? That's God's people. That's what church is. So Sunday is a chance to kind of reconnect with your heavenly father and his family, your other brothers and sisters in Christ. For 24 hours, here's what you get to do. Leave behind the outside world of rules and performance where you're valued for what you do and just come into God's presence where you're valued for whose you are. You get to let down your guard and relax and just enjoy our relationship with God through worship. Worship is when we we speak to God. That's why we sing. That's us speaking to him. We listen to his word. That's God speaking to us. Sunday is fun day in God's eyes. In Mark 2, Jesus affirms this. Here's what he told his disciples. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not the other way around. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Isn't that cool? Jesus said, I am giving you an entire day to disconnect from work and reconnect with me, your Savior, through worship. And that's what I'd like to talk about today, the role of worship on Sunday Fun Day. What makes worship truly enjoyable and engaging, both to God and to us? I mean, have you ever really thought about it? It's kind of weird, right? Like, ever asked the question, like, why do Christians, like, you know, sing songs when they get together on Sunday? It's kind of weird, right? Think about it. Like, where else in the world do a bunch of strangers, like, get together in a room and be like, let's spontaneously sing, you know? The only other place I know of is like an Irish pub, <laughs> you know? We're not going to serve Guinness for communion, okay? There are limits here, people, standards, all right? There's a good reason we come to worship on Sundays, and I want to dive into this first step on our spiritual pathway. Um, if you're new to our church, we have a thing called the spiritual pathway, and these are the three things 
we want everybody who calls Liquid Home to do, because this will help you grow into a disciple of Jesus. We call it come, connect, and contribute. The first is simply come to worship every Sunday, which, great job, you're here. You check it off the list. But your next step is to connect in community by joining a life group that meets during the week. That's where you actually care for other believers, you pray together, you study the Bible, you ask questions, you grow deeper in your relationship and community. And then the third is contribute your time or your talents by serving on a team. You probably notice you see people with t-shirts, they're serving, they're watching your kids right now, they're interacting and mentoring middle schoolers. We want you to contribute and be part of the life of our church. Come, connect, contribute. That's our strategy for growing disciples of Jesus Christ. But today, I want to drill down just on this first step, come to worship, and ask this question, what kind of worship? What are the ingredients of great worship? And what I mean by that is not like, so what songs do you like? <laughs> but let's turn it around and ask, what kind of worship does God enjoy most? What kind of worship really engages the Lord on the Sabbath? Because your campus most likely, they get, you guys got, got a great band up front, okay, who lead worship. They're leading the worship. But notice, you're not the audience. Did you know that? They've rehearsed this week, but the music is not for you. <laughs> Who's the worship for, according to the Bible? God alone. There's an audience of one on Sunday, and worship is this kind of vertical expression of our heart for God and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so worship is much more than just music. In fact, as a follower of Jesus, that means that worship is not something you do. A worshiper is who you are. You and I were made on purpose to enjoy God and actually worship him forever. So every Sunday at your campus, we sing, we pray, we pour out our hearts to our Father in heaven as kind of a warm-up act, as a preview of what's to come in eternity. And today, I want to briefly identify what are three ingredients of great worship that will make Sunday funny, more enjoyable, more engaging for both the audience, that's God, and the worshipers, that's you and me. If you're taking notes, we put some in your program today. You can take a look there. I outlined three ingredients for key worship or great worship. They all begin with the letter H. You can easily remember them. But the first ingredient of great worship I want to highlight is the word hallelujah. I want to say this together. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Okay, this is the first and best word of worship. And my guess is only about a third of you know what it means. We, in other words, we've probably all heard it. And a lot of times on Sunday, we sing these words that we know they're religious words, but we don't know where they come from or why we actually sing them. Hallelujah is the first and best word of worship recorded in the Bible. It actually is recorded 24 times in the Old Testament, and then you'll see it over and over again in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. So let's define terms. Here's, if you're taking notes, here's the way it goes. The word hallelujah is actually two words in Hebrew. When you say hallelujah, you're actually speaking Hebrew. The first word is halal, which means praise, and then Yah is a shortened firm, uh, term of the, the word Yahweh, which is the name for the Lord. So if you put them together, halal Yahweh or hallelujah, it means what? Praise the Lord in worship. In other words, the first word of worship is, it's all about the Lord. I'm going to praise and lift up my eyes to God and get my eyes off of myself. That's why we open with worship. And you're going to see this over and over again in the Old Testament. I want to read for you Psalm uh, 148. We printed this in your program. You can flip there in your Bible or, or uh, in your phone. This gives you a great picture of biblical worship. A lot of the Psalms written by King David. First five verses of Psalm 148, he writes, Hallelujah, in other words, Halal Yahweh, praise, lift up the Lord, 
And then every time you see praise God, it's actually hallelujah. He says, praise God from heaven. Let's do this. I'll read the verse. You say hallelujah. Ready? Praise God from heaven. Praise him from the mountaintops. Praise him, all you angels. Praise him, all you warriors. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you morning stars. Praise him, high heaven. Praise him, heavenly rain clouds. Praise, oh, let them praise. Halal, the name of Yahweh of God. He spoke the word. There they were. Why do the Psalms, the Psalms are the songs of the Bible, over and over and over again say, hallelujah, lift up God. Why? Well, for starters, the psalmist is like, just look up at his creation. If you look at the universe, you will see God's power and his glory on display. In other words, look what the psalmist says. He says, I want you to look up at the sun and the moon. I want you to look up at the stars. I want you to look up at the clouds. Just look at the world around you if you want a sense of how big and powerful your God is. Look at the creation in the night sky. Have you ever looked up at the sky and you see that ocean of stars and said, man, the God that I worship, the God who I get to call Father, spoke each one into existence, and he calls each one by name. You're looking right now at images from the Hubble Space Telescope captured by NASA. And these images stunned the scientific community when they first saw this peek into deep space, into the cosmos. You can see the shimmering stars and galaxies. And one of these galaxies is our galaxy. You know what it's called? The Milky Way. How many stars do you think are in our galaxy, the Milky Way? Any idea? That's the Milky Way. 100,000 million stars right now. And that's you right there. Do you see yourself? You see it? Take a little selfie. I want you to think about this. Your galaxy is one of 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe that the human eye can see through a telescope. Most scientists say it's probably two to 300 billion as technology improves. And the Bible says Yahweh, the Lord, created them with the power of his word. God said, let there be light, and the universe lit up. And God created the heavens and the earth. And right now, we're sitting here on planet Earth, this tiny tennis ball, a speck in the cosmos, of a galaxy that, you know how fast we're going right now? We're going 490,000 miles an hour. Hold on, okay? <laughs> and yet, at that speed, our galaxy needs 200 million years to make one rotation. There is a serious awe factor when you consider the power of the Lord and his majesty. And that's why the psalmist says, hallelujah, sun and moon, hallelujah, look up in the stars. When you consider the vastness of God, what do you feel? You feel a little bit of awe and humility. It's stunning to me to think that of 100 billion galaxies in the universe, only a few of them have been discovered in the last 20 years thanks to the Hubble telescope. In other words, God created all of these things in generations never before have even seen them. Why do you think God did that? Do you think it's maybe to let us think for a moment, man, God is unfathomably big and I am incredibly small. See, worship has a way of right-sizing our place in the universe. Most of the week, Monday through Friday, the world tells you you're the center of the universe. But on Sunday, we stop, we pause, we reflect, and we say, wow, I'm just a speck of dust, a tiny tennis ball, an ocean of stars, and yet God calls me by name. He sent his son Jesus to this planet to save me and adopt me into his family Praise him, hallelujah, sun and moon. Praise him, hallelujah, you morning stars. Hallelujah, high heaven, hallelujah, clouds. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you get why, why the psalmist gets overwhelmed? 
It's like he's like, there's a celestial choir right now in heaven screaming, praise God, and you are invited to join them in worship because you're his creature. Worship is the natural response of the human soul when we are overwhelmed with how big and powerful and glorious and beautiful our soul spontaneously erupts in worship. Hallelujah. See, hallelujah is the first word of worship you'll find in the Bible. And watch, it's the last one you'll see in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, we're given a picture of what God is doing right now. And we're told Jesus is seated on a throne in heaven. It's the Lamb of God seated on the throne. And what's happening? He's surrounded by these angels who are singing, holy, holy, holy. In other words, set apart, you're above all of us. But according to John, look what it says in heaven. It says, after this, John says, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude of people in heaven shouting. What are they singing? Hallelujah. Let's read it together. Salvation and glory and power belong to who? Our God. We sing hallelujah to thank our God for salvation, for actually sending his son Jesus to this planet. Because Christ not only created the heavens and the earth, they're created by him and through him and for him, but he came to this earth and he was crucified in our place on a cross that we might be forgiven by God, canceled our sin, canceled, and adopted in his family. And now we have a chance to enjoy him forever in heaven. That's why we worship. That's why we say hallelujah in our songs. We're praising God for who he is and what he's done through Jesus. And guys, this picture in Revelation is where your life is headed. The history of the universe is going to end with the largest hallelujah chorus in history. John gives us a preview of this in verse 6. Look what he says. You think, I know some of you think are like, man, liquid worship is loud. Watch this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, an ocean of people, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, turn up the subwoofer, shouting, hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty, what? Reigns. He rules over all. This is the hallelujah chorus in heaven. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue known to man is screaming, Jesus is Lord of all and all glory and honor and praise go to him. Guys, that's why we sing hallelujah on Sundays. Worship is not like a couple of songs that warm up back for the sermon. It is preparation for the first word that's going to be on your lips when you leave earth and see your, fa your Savior face to face. Amen? That's why we say hallelujah. So let me bring this down to earth and show you how this looks in the real world. And then we're going to practice it. We're actually going to worship in the middle of the message. We're going to practice what we're preaching here. I want to show you a quick YouTube clip that has been viewed 47 million times. It takes place in a food court uh, in a mall where a young woman is actually eating her lunch and she's on the phone when she stands up and leads the mall in spontaneous worship. Watch this.
a Hallelujah flash mob. It's just like that in the Bridgewater Mall. Have you noticed? It's just like that when you go there, right? Now, you guys know those opera singers were singing the Hallelujah chorus. It comes from George Handel's most famous work, The Messiah. Now, we shorten the clip, but that's that. It tells the story of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, how he ascended into heaven. And it ends with that epic chorus. And he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord. You want me to keep going? You want to keep going with that one? Yeah, I bet you do. What's interesting is in 1742, King George II started a tradition. They sang uh, Handel's The Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus in his royal court. And King George II stood, even King George acknowledging that he was subject to King Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And ever since, royal protocol demands that the audience and orchestra always stand to honor Christ the King when the Hallelujah Chorus is sung. So here's what I want to do. I want all of us to stand right now. Would you stand? All our campuses, we're going to practice our hallelujah in anticipation of the praise that's taking place right now in heaven. This is a little bit of a foretaste, a preview of the chorus that's going to go on and on, praising Christ for who he is and what he's done. And as we worship, don't hold back, all right? We're going to dim the lights in your campus. I've seen you guys. You go to a football game, you're like, woo, concert, you know? People get excited. That should pale in comparison for our exuberant worship of God. So we're going to practice our halal Yahweh. We're going to get our eyes off of ourselves and hallelujah or praise the Lord together.
right. Again, we're getting warmed up a little. We're practicing what we're preaching. We're learning that hallelujah is the first word of worship. Now I want to talk about the kind of the posture of praise, and that is the lifting up of your hands. That's the second ingredient of great worship that I can really think can really help you engage in a more meaningful way this year. Because I know some of you kind of, you know, you stand there during worship, I get it, you know, or your hands in your pockets. And uh, if it's your first time in church, I understand it could be weird. Like you're kind of, even during that song, maybe you're like standing there and you're like, that guy's like got a question. You know, like no one's calling on him. You know, she's got two. She's got two questions over there. What's, what's the deal? Um, why do some people raise their hands in worship? And are we supposed, all supposed to do that? You know, because we all come from different backgrounds. In fact, watch, just quick show of hands. How many came from a hand-raising church? Okay. You came from a hand-raising church? Okay, awesome. How many of you don't raise hands in church? Okay. Gotcha. Welcome. You're, you're in now. You're like, oh, what no! They got me! You know? Like, oh, man, I always want, you know? I want to raise my hands, but I just can't lift them. Ah! You know, kind of. Raising hands in worship is actually a practice you're going to find over and over again in the Bible. The Apostle Paul gives this instruction in 1 Timothy. Look what Paul writes. He says, I want men everywhere, men, spiritual leaders, I want you to pray, lifting up what? Holy hands without anger or disputing. In other words, according to the Bible, the first thing we do in worship is we lift our voice, we're saying hallelujah, but then we lift our hands as a sign of openness and surrender and receptivity. We're going to open our heart and our whole being to God, your Father. And again, depending on your background, you may have a different comfort level with that. Raising hands in worship may seem strange. I already know. I see some of you are like, man, I ain't raising my hands. You know, you're like, I got my arms folded. I got my coffee. You know, okay, you're not going to get the rest of my coffee out of my cold, dead hands. Listen, just track with me, all right? I get it. Some people are more naturally expressive in worship. Some are kind of more subtle. It's funny, but um, comedian Tim Hawkins, he's got a funny riff on this. He said there are different styles of hand-raising you'll see in churches. So if you're not comfortable, you don't have to, like, start, like, woo, kind of thing. You can start very subtle with a move that I call carry the TV. You know? It's kind of like this. Then if you're like, no, I can move, I can move, just widescreen, go widescreen. Okay, just go a little bit wider. A little wider. Or you can go with measure the fish. My fish was this big. Fish was this big. If you want to lie, if you're a liar, just go wider. It's okay. Jesus forgives you. Okay, grace wins. It's all right. I sometimes see women do this one. Hold my baby. Hold my baby kind of worship, right? Or maybe goalposts. Have you seen goalposts? Right? Double goalposts. Maybe throw a little heartburn in there. Heart. Okay, kind of double heartburn back to goalposts kind of thing, all right? My favorite, my favorite worship move is, I call it Mufasa. You know? The circle of life kind of moment, right? Now, now listen, listen. I know guys are like, dude, this is too much. Just do that, you know, Jesus number one. You know, high five, raise the roof, you know, with Jesus. A lot of single women I see do wash the windows. You know, this one, wash the windows. Washing the, washing the windows. God, I'm available. I'm available to anyone else too. Kind of thing, kind of, you know, all right? Doesn't matter how you do it, okay? It doesn't matter. If you're really adventurous, you go for the big three, right? Village people, Rocky, touchdown, okay? You just go, however, it doesn't matter how you do it, okay? The point of raising hands in worship is that we raise our hands as an expression of what's in our heart. That's how it's described in Psalm 63. David wrote the Psalm 63 when he was actually in the wilderness, very low point in his life. I want to show you this. David is going to cry out to God here, and this may be what some of you feel today. Look what he says. He, he says, God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You know, on a serious note, 
I wonder how many of you are maybe in a place right now where that reflects where you are. Your situation, you feel a little spiritually dry if you're honest, like you're in a desolate place. Maybe you feel, you know, lonely or anxious or afraid. There's a situation in your life and you're like, man, I, I didn't think life was going to turn out like this. I didn't think I'd be at this place right now. And it's the start of a new year and I understand it's like supposed to be about new beginnings, but I feel like David, I feel dry. And that's why David's like, God, I'm crying out, I need you. I, I, I crave you, my thirst, my, I, my soul thirsts, I desire you. There's nothing in my life right now that satisfies you, me, and I need you desperately, he says. He says this in verse 2. So what does he do? Watch this. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. So he, so he comes to worship. He's in church. I've beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I want you to think about that. He says, the love of God is better than my life. Why? Because it's the one thing in my life that never fails. In other words, your health may fail. Your career may fail. Your marriage may fail. But the love of God never, ever fails. Amen? God says, because your love is better than my life, my lips will glorify you. I can't, I've got to speak, I've got to say hallelujah. But now watch this. Then he says, I will praise you for as long as I live. Throw that up there, Lisa. And this is important. And in your name, say this together, I will Lift up my hands. Now, remember, David's in a bad place. <laughs> He's not saying, hey, I'm raising my hands because everything's good. Woo! I'm raising my hands because I finished my pumpkin spice latte. And now we're free. David's saying, I'm lifting my hands because I'm praising you. Even when my circumstances are bad, I'm saying, God, you are good. I can trust my heavenly father. And I lift up my hands to him when I need him. It's funny. Have you ever seen a toddler lift up their hands to their mom or their dad? Like, carry me, carry me. Parents, you'll appreciate this. I remember when my daughter, Chase, was first learning to walk, and she did what I call the Frankenstein walk. You see this with toddlers? You know, when they're just learning to walk, they, like, kind of hold on the coffee table, and then there's a little bit of this, and then they kind of walk like Frankenstein towards you, like a little drunk, and then they lift out their hands. And I remember the first time she did it, she came walking over to me. I'm like, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And she looks up, she goes, dad, dad. And I remember just turning into mush because why? The moment her hands came up to me, my heart went down to her. Now, I want you to think about this. If that's how I feel as a human father, when my child raises her hands for me, how much more love and affection does your heavenly father feel when you lift your hands up to him in worship? There's no father on earth who would ever reject the outstretched arms of a child. And when you lift up your hands to the Lord, I believe his heart moves down to us. In fact, that's what James promises. He says this in chapter 4. He says, draw near to God. Let's read this together. And he will draw near to you. When you lift up your hands in worship, you're basically saying, Father, I, I can't reach you. This is the best I can do. I need you. And in an act of worship, I'm asking, would you come to me? Your love is better than my life. Would you fill me in a fresh way? As we draw near to him, he draws near to us. So again, we're going to practice what we're learning right now. So all our campuses, I want you to stand to your feet. Go ahead and stand up. I want you to raise your hands, okay? Even if you've never done it before, put down your coffee. I want you to hold your hands up. I don't care how you do it. You can carry the TV. You can measure the fish. Go post whatever you're comfortable with. And you're not going to feel awkward. Just blame me. Oh, Pastor Tim's making me do it. Don't be self-conscious. It's one of the reasons we keep the lights out during worship. And right now, we're going to lift up our hands to our Father in heaven. We lift our holy hands up. 
So we've talked about the first word of worship, hallelujah. We've talked about the, the posture of praise, raising up our hands. And I just want to briefly give you that third critical ingredient of great worship, and that is the Holy Spirit. The reality is this, guys. You can come to worship Sunday after Sunday, but it's not enough to just go through the motions. It's not enough to sing a few songs or you know, write down a verse or two and then just go home unchanged. The truth is this, guys. If the Holy Spirit does not touch your heart, if you don't experience 
the presence of God in a palpable way, it's just noise. It's just man-made religion. Jesus told his disciples in John 4, he says, The day is coming, a time's coming, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit plays the central role in great worship. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is literally the manifest presence of God among his people. In other words, there's the transcendence of God. He's out there, but then there's the imminence of God. He's right here, and as we reach up to Abba, the Holy Spirit reaches down and touches us. And sometimes you'll see that. Have you ever noticed that when we worship on Sundays? Maybe you see somebody in the crowd. You look down your row, and you see the woman. She's like got her eyes closed, and she's sort of trembling. Or, or you see a guy over here. Could be during the music. Could be during the message, and, and he's got his eyes closed. Or maybe he's sort of crying or blinking back tears, and you're kind of like, like, what's happening there? What's going on? Obviously something powerful. That person is encountering the Holy Spirit in a very deep way. God is reaching in and, and touching their heart. Maybe he's healing a hurt. Maybe he's bringing conviction for, for sin, or he's offering comfort for some sort of suffering they're going through. And it's very powerful to encounter the Holy Spirit that way. And I understand when you see it happens, it can be awkward, right? It's like watching people make out, you know? You ever see, like, someone making out? You're like, oh, gosh, you know, like, something very personal is going on, but I don't want to watch it, you know, kind of thing. I get that. It's why we keep the lights down during worship. We don't want anyone to feel self-conscious. But you have to make room on Sunday in our worship for the Holy Spirit and invite him to minister God's presence in a personal way. So how do you do that, like, practically speaking? Like, everyone's like, I'm all for the Holy Spirit. Here's what Ephesians 5 says. Paul's giving instructions to the church on worship. He says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, say it together, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, notice Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, and the verb there is very, like, be continually filled again and again with the Spirit. Notice that implies we leak, <laughs> Right? You and I leak. In other words, you're not filled with the Spirit one time, and then like a rest of eternity, you don't even have to worry about it. When we come into worship on Sundays, the Bible actually is very realistic. They're like, sometimes you feel empty. You know what? Paul's like, that's okay. That's natural. That's your humanity showing, right? But one of the purposes of worship, of Sunday fun day, is not just to sing a few songs. It's for you to literally to be refilled by the Holy Spirit in worship. We need continuous filling, supernatural filling. How do we find it? Here's what Paul says. Be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, what's the difference between those? Because I always thought, I think they're sort of the same thing. The whole idea is this. Worship's like a filling station. It's like pulling up to the gas station, getting plugged in, and you're inviting the manifest presence of God to touch you and fill you. How? First way is psalms. Psalms were the inspired songs of the Old Testament. Now, we've read a couple of psalms today. In other words, they come right out of Scripture, and they praise God for who he is. But hymns, you'll notice, we often sing, they are a little bit different. They are traditionally comprised of a human composition that focuses on God or Christ. Think of your favorite hymns, right? Like, how great thou art, or amazing grace, or, you know, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Great is thy faithfulness. They offer very structured and rich theology. But then Paul mentions songs from the Spirit, or spiritual songs. And likely, this refers to those more praise and worship kind of choruses that we sing. They're not as focused on theology as they give expression to our heart and invite God, God, draw close to me right here. 
It's very interesting. I was looking through the New Testament this week. Whenever you see worship in Scripture, believers are, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, oftentimes they spontaneously break out into these unrehearsed, spontaneous songs. They're not words prepared in advance. There are no slides. <laughs> but they're prompted by the Holy Spirit. It can be quite powerful. Now, at Liquid, we typically just, we just don't have time for that on Sunday mornings. But we do make room at our worship nights. If you're new to our church, you should know every month we have a worship night. It's the last Wednesday of every month. And it's a 90-minute prayer and worship experience designed for you to really encounter the presence of God in a palpable way. It's very spirit-led worship. And as you'll see in Scripture, there's these, you know, people can unbuckle their seatbelt, move about the cabin a little bit. And you see in Scripture, whenever God's people are praying and worshiping and fasting, the Spirit often breaks out, imparts spiritual gifts, even bringing healing to people who are sick or in need. That's why we pray for people. Worship is like medicine for the soul. And it's one of the ways that God reaches down and personally touches us with his love. Like we're aware that I am God's child. I am his beloved. Like he did with Charles Finney. Charles Finney was one of the great revivalists of the 19th century. He lived in upstate New York and he said, God, you have to make this personal to me. And Finney went out to the woods and he said, I'm going to worship and pray for, for some hours here. And I'm not coming back until God really touches me and, I, and his love becomes palpable to me. And here's what Finney wrote. Look what he says. He says, the Holy Spirit seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. And indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. I love that phrase, liquid love. It's kind of a fun name for a worship album, I think. <laughs> that whole idea that God literally, his love became real, just like when you feel it when you like hug somebody. This was a life-altering experience for Finney. It was the, the anointing or the unction of the Holy Spirit. So look how we start. Worship begins by saying, hallelujah, God, you are omnipotent. You're all-powerful. You are out there seated in heavenly glory beyond the stars. But then the Spirit says, you're also right here too. God, you are right here right now. And I invite you, touch me with your love. Fill me in a fresh way. That should be the cry of our heart. So we want to end this service right now by, by doing that. We're going to open our lips, we're going to open our hands, but we're going to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. So would you stand together, all our campuses, let's just stand together. We're going to bring it all together today. You can open your hands. We're going to sing hallelujah. We're going to open our hands. We're going to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, right now, all across New Jersey, followers of Jesus Christ are saying, fill me up. So come Holy Spirit. We invite you to touch your people. Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you'd minister to those who are hurting. God, for those who came today feeling empty or drained or in a dry place, Lord, just fill them up in a fresh way. God, let them feel your very presence right now, closer than ever before. Father, for people who are sick or some people in their family are suffering or they're facing an uncertain situation, God, would you flood in them right now, Father God, the hope that you have hope and a future for them, and they are safe in your hands. Father God, we praise the name of Jesus Christ who is with us, who is for us and in us. And we ask all of our worship now to lift up the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Everybody said together. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.